0: Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews twelve fourteen tells us to pursue peace with all people and holiness Now, to be able to do this, the first thing you have to know is that you already have found peace and holiness with God. If you have not, you're not in a position to pursue and offer peace and holiness before others. Uh, Christian, you have to have a firm standing in your faith before you can bring the fruits of that faith to those around you. Peace and holiness. Are they yours? Let's make sure we're grounded in the gospel. Peace is completeness and wholeness. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. Listen to them. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of God bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. You know what that is in my mind? Peace. I'm complete. I'm whole. I've got everything I need in Jesus. You don't have to give it to me. I have it from him. We're not waiting for anything more that this world can somehow provide for us to give us all the things we need to have peace. We're not waiting for something more that someone else has to contribute to give us the right setting and the right environment for us to be complete. Jesus is our peace. We've been reconciled to him. Listen here, the Christian is not only one who has been brought into peace with God, but the Christian is one who has been made holy before God, made holy before God. That's why in the New Testament, when the Christian is being addressed, much of the time, if not most of the time, or the most common address is that we're addressed as saints. Do you realize that? If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you're, you're a saint. And the word saint means holy one. It actually means one who has been separated or set apart for God. It's a phrase of a recognition that there's something other, something distinct about you that is identified with something that belongs to God alone. It's the kind of otherness that we find in God because He is perfect and He's without sin in any way. The whole of creation that we live in and we abide in and the stuff that, and the material that we're even made of in our flesh, the whole of it is tainted with sin. And it's so tainted that we're used to it. We're just used to it. We wouldn't know actually what to do if we came into contact with something that was completely and totally holy. We have those moments when we do have a touch or a sense that we're drawing near to holiness just when we witness something that seems so pure and so perfect or something that's so wonderfully innocent, like when you see a newborn baby that's just quivering with life and you hold it in your hands, when you look upon a meadow that's just been drenched with a morning rain, when you see the sun just beginning to rise and penetrate the horizon line and fill the darkness with light, those are awesome moments. That sense of awesomeness is just a moment, just a moment in which you're getting a glimpse of what is holy. Holiness is awesome. It is other than what we are in ourselves. But when God saved us from our sins, when we put our faith in Jesus, His Son, at that moment, He made us holy. That is, He set us apart for Himself. He set us apart so that we would be a place where He would dwell. You know, the Bible says that God dwells in a high and holy place. The Bible says of God that He dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. Now, you don't know what that's like. You've never been to that place. But Then the Bible also says that He dwells in the broken and contrite spirit. And it comes to the one who's repentant and yielded to Him and believing in Him alone, and God makes us holy And God establishes residency in our life. And at that very moment, we are positionally made holy or perfect in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have at that moment been cleansed from all of our sins. We've been given a new nature, a new spirit that abides within our bodies, imperfect as our bodies are. A new nature that abides within our bodies that is pure and right with God and is positioned before God in complete holiness. Colossians chapter 1, 21 and 22. Let me read to you verses 21 and 22. And they tie together this thought of peace with God and then this idea of holiness before God. And they say unequivocally that we have peace with God and that we are holy before Him. The Christian speaking of here. And you who were once alienated and the enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. What's that? It's peace. Peace with God. In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. That's holiness right now in God's sight through Jesus Christ. You're above reproach. You're holy. God accepts you in His Son as completely other and distinct and ready for fellowship with Him. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. The same idea is established here, but here the focus is on holiness. It says here of Christ that he also loved the church. Instructions are how husbands are to love their wives, but Christ is a central example here. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, that is, set her apart, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. If you've grown up in any local church, you know that doesn't necessarily describe any local church you've been in. Right? But here's what you need to know. It's what God sees. God has positionally done such a great work and so covered the individuals believe in Jesus Christ with righteousness that when God sees us and when we come before Him, He sees us as holy and without reproach blameless. Somehow there's a hidden mystery within the church and that's why he's never given up on us. There's a hidden mystery in the church of something that's glorious. (laughs) Something that's glorious that the Lord Jesus in a sense finds beautiful and lovely and captures his heart and it's something that he's brought about. So what I want you to see here is that the Christian has peace with God. The born again man has peace with God. The born again man or woman is holy and righteous before God. Now here's the second thing. It is only because we have found peace with God and holiness with God that we can strive for it and pursue it with others. It's only because I found peace with God and I have holiness with God that I can pursue it with others. Another way of saying it is this, that you cannot pursue peace unless you have peace and you cannot pursue holiness unless you have holiness. You are not here being called upon to fabricate peace and holiness by your own efforts you're being called upon to live out your peace and your holiness before others. Just because you have peace, and just because you are already holy before God. The peace that we seek to have with others is made possible because we have peace with the God of all peace. Do you get this? The peace that I seek to have with my neighbor and anyone else is directly the result of and possible because I have peace with God. I don't have to gain anything from that other person for me to be at peace. I don't have to come to terms. They don't have to come to terms with me. I don't have to come to terms with them. They don't have to act in any way to satisfy me because I have all that I need to be complete and satisfied because I'm at peace with God. The one thing I want is I want them to come under the influence of that same peace. I want them to have what God has made possible and what I've realized with God themselves. This week I was having a conversation with an individual who's not grown up in the church and is outside the church and is not a believing person, although they're searching. told him a little bit about what I do, traveling different countries around the world and all the different religious groups of people that I work within. And his question was, how does Christianity work in non-Christian countries like that? How does Christianity actually fit into a place like that? It's a really good question. I explained to him that the primary function of religions in most cultures and most countries is that those religions become the point of cultural cohesion that everybody kind of gathers around and keeps everybody together. It keeps everybody on the same religious page and with the same religious ties and so that they can encourage a kind of social harmony. That sounds kind of good. So if you go into a Buddhist culture, it's really important, frankly, that everybody be a Buddhist because that's the basis of their harmony. If you go into a Muslim culture and the Muslim community, it's really important that everybody be a Muslim because if they don't, it kind of breaks up the structure that's used to hold that society together. The reason that they persecute Christians is not necessarily that they just hate Christians. They hate the disharmony that it introduces to their culture because their religions are essentially providing the glue that holds them culturally together. You go to Bali, every single village in the island of Bali has a a God that is the God of that village. There's an empty space in the middle of the village and it's not a park. It's a place where that God resides. And every home is built around that empty space. And every family is obligated to pay obscenes, to pay worship to that one God. That's what provides that community with a sense of cohesiveness, and that they can all get along. And if you have one of those families who decides, we're not going to pay any worship, we're not going to give our offerings to that God, everybody in the community gets kind of upset. Actually, they get really upset. So when a person, for example, becomes a Christian in those communities, they suffer persecution. And I've seen it. People who have literally been driven out of their home on the island of Bali, a family that came to Christ that had a very prosperous store, the people in the community came around their home, they said, Well, we can't violently throw them out, that was against their principles. But we don't want them, we don't want them in our community. So they built a wall that was about literally about a foot and a half away from their door, all the way around their house. A brick wall to brick them in. People had to kind of navigate and work their way back into that place to get into there. Met other people who had been thrown out of their communities and had their families taken away from them and their children taken away from them and people who've had family members who have been martyred and People have been literally attacked and tried to be killed. Why? Well, because they have disrupted the harmony and the peace and the social cohesiveness that people were trying to orchestrate through the religion. I explained to this individual, but that's not how Christianity works. When the Lord Jesus came, he didn't promise that Christianity would be the point of cultural cohesion for some community. He wasn't attempting to establish a culture. In fact, what he told people was, unless you hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your wife and your children more, then you can't be my disciple. You can't follow me. He said he didn't even actually come to bring peace, but he said he came to bring a sword. He'd come to cut the individual away from their points of cultural cohesiveness in order that they might simply have a relationship with Him alone. What Jesus was saying is the only thing that God is interested in, first and foremost, is that you be at peace with Him. You be right with Him. I don't want you locked away in some culture, thinking that that's your point of harmony. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to be right and have a relationship with God. And so, Lord Jesus didn't come to create a culture. He didn't come to create that, kind of, that source of peace and harmony. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? We are complete in Him. We're at peace all by ourselves in a world that can even be set against us, even intent on persecuting us, because we're at peace and we're complete in God. He provides us an internal adhesiveness that no sense of surrounding order can provide for us. Now, here's the very interesting thing about this. The interesting thing about this is, the amazing thing about this is that when I find peace with God in this way, I can be at peace with my neighbors even when they're not at peace with me. I can be at peace with them because I have no demand that they make anything or do anything in order to provide for my cohesion in life. I'm glad you've listened in to the Bread of Life radio today. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org or call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.